Okay, if you'd pray with me, and then we'll get into Colossians. Oh, Father, I pray this morning that, um, God, you'll uh, refresh um, us who are hearing um, this morning. I pray that we will hear your word, and it'll refresh us. It'll bring not only refreshment to those who you have saved, but your freedom, only the freedom you can bring to those who are not saved. Um, God, I pray that you will remove any barriers to the hearing of your word and responding to it. God, help us understand. Please, we can be excited about it. We can move in the direction of Christ with our whole life. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you'd stand with me, we're going to read Colossians 2.20-23. You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You may be seated. Very concise. So the beginning of this is sort of uh, a refreshment of what we've talked about again and again and again in Colossians 2. stated very simply, you have died. What this death looks like for you, this this pronouncement of death, it's like someone showing up on the scene of a, a, a terrible event that's happened, evaluating the body and saying, it is dead. This event happened when Christ died, and with him, you who have been saved by him died too. What this would look like is if you were to read the Jerusalem Gazette or Jerusalem Post Intelligencer, the morning after the crucifixion, it would have had Jesus Christ crucified. Melissa Bowers, crucified. Okay? The reality of Christ dying, Him taking you with Him, you cannot be separated from that. So after we've gone through all of chapter 2, it's presenting this to you again, as simply as you can, just saying, you have died with Christ. Do Do you get the... Just the plain reality of that statement. What that means. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you more of what that means, because obviously you guys are thinking, I am thinking right now, I'm breathing right now, I'm feeling emotion right now. Hopefully you're thinking right now. Um, so what does this mean? I died when Christ died. And obviously this is, this is very directed towards those who have heard the message of the gospel and responded to it those who have put their hope in Christ. If your hope is not in Christ, you have yet to die to the things that are hindering you from seeing the only truth that can save you. 
In John 12, it says, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, oftentimes we can stay in this spot of thinking, I just need to set out and write a checklist of what I need to do to really live. Maybe that's bungee jumping. Maybe that's um, going to the grave of Mahatma Gandhi. Right? All these things that we can set up and say, if I do this, then when I get to the end of my life, I can look back and say, I truly have lived. But what the gospel is telling you is that unless you have been crucified with Christ, you cannot live. I'm going to give you a really quick story to help illustrate this. Um, There's a book called Born Crucified uh, by a man by the name of Maxwell. And he shares this story, and this will help you understand what this death looks like. It says, During the Civil War, a man by the name of George Wyatt was drawn by lot to go to the front. So the front lines in the Civil War means that you're going to go die. It's a very brutal battle. All the battles were. He had a wife and six children. A young man named Richard Pratt offered to go in his stead. He was accepted and joined the ranks bearing the name and number of George Wyatt. Before long, Pratt was killed in action. The authorities later sought again to draft George Wyatt into service. He protested, entering the plea that he had died in the person of Pratt. He insisted that the authorities consult their records as to the fact of his dying in identification with Pratt, his substitute. Wyatt was thereby exempted as be as beyond the claims of law and further service, he had died in the person of his representative, as his representative. There we have the truth of identification in a nutshell. God's way of deliverance is through death, through identification with our substitute in his death and resurrection. The life that is identified with Christ will be a life of sufficiency and fullness and peace. So this story, it says there was a man who was supposed to go to the front lines. Instead, another man went in his place and died. Because that man died, he was exempted from any law that would bind him to go. And that, that is what we call substitutionary atonement. That is when what Christ did, he did for us. That all the laws that would condemn us to death, by the way we've lived... The sins we've committed, that all has been put on Christ. One of our favorite verses here, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we could be the righteousness of God. And that happened in the death of Jesus. So there's incredible freedom for you who begin to realize what it means that when Christ died, you died, right? When Richard Pratt died, George Wyatt died, even though George Wyatt was still alive, right? So, begin to think of what has been done on your behalf. Unless you appreciate that and enjoy that, you're missing out. If you turn with me to Romans 6, 5 through 14, it helps explain it. Romans 6, 5 through 14. It says, 
since we have been united with Christ in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Our old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin, and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. And it's pleading with you here. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not let it do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life, and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. Dwell on that. It's incredible. In Colossians 2, earlier in verse 14, we read what this looked like when Christ was on the cross, where it says, He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross of Christ. So some of you are more familiar than others here with what it looks like to have a record. Um, and my dad mentioned this last week. Um, what it looks like to have a criminal record. Um, what's even more unseen than a criminal record is the record of what we've done that no one's seen. Maybe our personal interaction, our, our relationship, um, not only with others but with God that has left in our lives a package of guilt or a package of shame. Um, And that, for so long, and even for some of you, it might remain very unidentified in your own lives. What we carry, it was shown in the book Pilgrim's Progress, is Christian carrying this huge burden that he could not get rid of until he came to the cross of Christ where it was canceled and it rolled off his back. Right, and that, that is what it looks like when it says, you have died. It means that you dying with Christ means that it was all placed on Him, and by God's grace you are free. But free to what? And we've discussed that a little bit. Um, and what we're discussing here today in Colossians 2 is how people have wrongly taken our freedom, taken the freedom offered by God, and they continue to heap upon it rules that we have to follow, not understanding that what Christ did, he did for us, we couldn't do it, and we have to come to him for it. The laws we create are to increase our pride and our ability to participate in our own salvation. But the law, the laws of the Old Testament that were ordained by God, which were good, it says, those were meant to point us again and again to Christ, who alone could save us. 
And we see that even before the law was handed down to Abraham, where it says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? And so, what we have here is we either have a pointing to Christ by the law, or we have a pointing to ourselves by a law that we create. And we'll get into that. probably sounds very theoretical. What this looked like for the Colossians is it says, why do you keep giving in again and again to the rules of the world, which sound like this, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Don't handle. And so these were, these were rules that the, the Jews of the Old Testament hadn't only taken the law of God, but they, they'd built up other laws too. Um, this could look like, um, in our lives, what this could look like is, um, I understand what Jesus did for me, but I'm going to, on top of that, choose to do something, um, for example, not beca- so someone could choose, say, not to marry, Right? Not because they're making a decision that could honor God, saying, I want to go to the mission field. Right? I can't have a wife in the mission field, maybe where I'm going. And so I'm going to do that out of honor to God. See, that's, that's a healthy relationship with God. But what someone could do as a means of uh, sort of a self-harm to just say, God, I'm really valuing what you did for me. Or by what I'm doing, it's going to help me understand God's grace for me. Right, And we do this in our lives all the time because we don't understand what God did for us. We can't even add to that. right? What he did for us, he did for our freedom, and we can't add to it by, by any invention of the imagination to try to also suffer with Christ. One thing I want you guys to leave with today, and we're going to we're going to talk more about this in a little bit, is that you cannot choose the place of your own sacrifice, even. God even has to choose that. Like the song we've heard before, Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the landmark with suffering, though there's pain in this offering. Blessed be your name, right? It says, every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise, right? So, even the way we serve God isn't mandated by us. So it's not like we have the life that we have here and we decide how we serve God with it, right? All we can do to serve God is give back to Him what we are given. And we'll elaborate on this. Um, Because where uh, the Colossians had gone wrong is following again these old patterns of don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And what this looked like for them was they couldn't associate the Jewish laws. Um, they couldn't associate with sinners of any kind. Um, they couldn't associate with... And what this looked like, uh, as you see played out in the Gospels, is the Samaritans, right? A Jew, it was heinous for a Jew to associate with um, this other sort of mixed race, the Samaritans. And that, that is what it was considered this don't handle, is by association with them, they didn't want it to look like they were in some way unclean. Don't taste for them meant they were going to, 
on top of what God had done for them, they were going to continue saying, okay, we're not going to eat these certain things because it just it shows that we are pure. By don't touch, it meant that, um, that the, blood of, uh, the blood of unclean animals, right? That they couldn't, even approach, say, like a pig. They couldn't do that. They couldn't approach a pig or touch it. Um, as silly as it sounds, if they, it says if they ate or touched um, something unclean that was the size of an olive, then they would be beaten for it, right? And so they're just heaping law upon law upon law. And as silly as this sounds, we follow that too. And I'll tell you how we follow that too. Um, because we see our failure apart from God to fulfill what is right. And so we add to that either by creating a new law that we also can't fulfill. And I would, I would consider that law, even for us, I'm going to live according to whatever I desire. Can you fulfill that in your life? You cannot. Right? So whatever you set for yourself to do and say, by doing that I am fulfilled, you will never fulfill yourself. No matter how indulgent that rule for your life is. Right? It's like in Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he said, so I I gave myself to everything that was supposed to make me happy. Right? He had... A huge harem, he built palaces for himself, he built gardens, he went traveling, and all these things, he indulged more and more in them, but he couldn't keep it up. So whatever we do to fulfill ourselves, we won't be able to keep up. So ask for, from us, a humility to admit that we can't do it, even the laws that we create for ourselves. What this looks like for us, and I want to carry this through, is that have you ever had something in your life, I'm, I'm addressing really you guys as the Christians here in the group, something in your life that as you understood you are free, you have been freed by Christ, and yet you don't know how to, how to show your appreciation to Him for that. And so you give up something that maybe he's not asking you to give up because you, you really want to do it. And, and honestly, I don't have an example for this. I could, think of, I could try to think of something, but I can't because really individually, um, oftentimes we, we feel like we have to give something up even after Christ has saved us to also somehow save ourselves. It could be that you have um, know, something even really beautiful that God has added to your life, right? Um, and for me, when I was in high school, it was running. I loved running, and I, I worried so much. It became this huge worry to me that I was, I was committing idolatry, <laughs> right? Because I, was, I loved it so much, and I, I, would, I just invested myself in it, um, 
But oftentimes when we have those things and we try to give them up, it can lead to bitterness in our own lives. And that bitterness turns against God in saying, God, why do you ask me to do these things I can't do? I can't please you, God. And that's why when he's talking to the Colossians here, he says these things that you do that make you look pious or humble or all these things you can do, he says they don't even help in curbing any sensual desire that you have. Because we're never meant to do it apart from Christ. So everything we can try to offer apart from Christ will not satisfy in any way. It won't satisfy us in helping us get nearer to Christ. It won't help us in finding more peace inwardly. It says that these things can look um, wonderful to the world. It says you can even have the appearance of wisdom. And this could be really well exemplified in the, the classic example of the mountaintop sage, right? You have these people, like, I'll argue, like the Buddha, who lives, in, lives away from society, right? And people go to them to hear from them, right? It has the appearance of wisdom. But I'll show you what wisdom is. Wisdom is in the person of Christ, who entered the world, right? Entered the thoroughfare of mankind, where there was pain and there was suffering, and he... He entered that and he gave an answer to the world in that way, right? And so oftentimes we can, in so many ways, we can try to, to look wonderful, right? Apart from Christ. I don't know if you guys have ever really admired somebody. Maybe admired the way they acted. Maybe a mannerism they have. You're like, I really like how they do this every once in a while. And so you start doing it, right? <laughs> in the same way we can do that with Christ. We can say, Oh, even him. I really, I love the way he did this. And then on our own, we can try to imitate him. But the the truth is, like we can't choose our own place of sacrifice, even in the place of imitating Christ, we were never made to only live a life of imitation of Christ. We were meant to live a life of participation with Christ. And that's the feeling that you get right at the beginning where it says you died with him. Unless you participate in his death, you will never participate in his life. And the participation in his death is saying, the life I once lived, trying to do it on my own, with the rules that I either made to please God or to rebel against God, neither of those could I fully accomplish. Right? Neither of those. Both of them left me in shame. I, I mean, I don't challenge you to do this, don't do this, but if you did do this, if you went out and just said, I'm going to try to do the maximum amount of evil I can, you will fail. You couldn't do that, right? Anything we set out to do ourselves, we will constantly come up against limitations because the way man was made was to participate in the life of God himself, right? Being made in the image of God. This is, this is a huge concept. And this whole, this whole thing comes back down to, have you been crucified with Christ? 
And Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. And that life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself up for me. Right? Apart from that life of Christ in you, um, no association will help. Um, sometimes people uh, think that association with the Coffee Oasis means something to them um, by way of giving them authority. <laughs> right? You'll have people that uh, maybe they begin working here uh, you know, just general association with, with the Coffee Oasis. And so it means something to them because maybe they really admire Dave or they admire Cindy, right? And they're like, the way they've taken people into their homes, they live in such a way that that is admirable. And so they feel like by association that makes them holy, right? Or in the same way, by association with the church. They're baptized into the church. They feel by association in that way that means something. So what Paul's telling the Colossians here is that not by any of these associations that might look really impressive will your soul ever find benefit. All that counts is Christ in you. Right? That you died with Christ to those passions that you had before. Any passion you had before to live in a way that could honor God. I don't, I don't doubt that in a lot of ways you guys have wanted to honor God, but you felt that you couldn't. You felt His standard was too high. And it is. That's the purpose of the law. To show you that God's standard is too high. And then Christ came... Matthew 5.17, he says, I do not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And in his fulfillment of those, and taking you with him, you are fulfilled. And the moment our mind stops working within that, and goes back to, how will I please God by myself? You will constantly be dissatisfied. If you turn with me really quickly to, uh, to Psalm 50, Psalm 50 and 51. You can enjoy this for two reasons. One, because of what it's saying. Um, but the other is because it's being said in the Old Testament. and gives a lot of light to how God has viewed this process, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Right? What the law was meant to do in leading us to Christ. So Psalm 58 through 17 Actually, we can start in 7. It says, O oh, my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or burnt offerings. You constantly bring to my offer. But I want no more bulls from your barns. I want no more goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountains and all the animals of the field belong to me. 
If I were hungry, I would not mention it to you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. I don't need the bulls you sacrifice. I don't need the blood of your goats. What I want instead is your true thanks to God. I want you to fulfill your vows to the Most High. Trust me in your time of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. The next psalm, Psalm 50, 16 through 17, says very similarly, You will not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them. This is David praying to God. So he's saying, O oh God, you would not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So this is what God has wanted all along, right? He hasn't wanted our attempts at piety, right? He hasn't wanted our, our attempts to be perfect. What God has wanted since the creation of the world, you've heard this before, hear it again, is a relationship with us. Right? The verse, apart from Him we can do nothing. Right? That, that is the reality of our lives. There was a, a man in, uh, in the 1800s by the name of uh, J. Hudson Taylor, who some of you are familiar with, um, who learned this secret. And he called it the secret of the exchanged life. That means is we exchange our lives for the life of Christ. We give our old self and we receive Him. And this is what he writes about it. He said, The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being more sweet than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I'm no longer anxious about anything, for He I know is able to carry out His will, and His will is mine. It makes no matter where He places me or how, that is rather for Him to consider for me. For the easiest position, He must give me grace, and in the most difficult, His grace is sufficient. So if God placed me in great perplexity, must He not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength. As to work, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, so difficult. But the weight and strain are all gone. His resources are mine, for He is mine. All this springs from the believer's oneness with Christ. So all this comes from this exchange life. And so I want to I want to challenge you guys two challenges those that aren't saved to consider this. I'll tell you this is the only way to satisfaction for you that are saved to think of this when you feel God that God is displeased with you. Think what brings pleasure to God? What brings pleasure to God is us walking with Him, us relating with Christ, us receiving everything we have from Christ. God doesn't require anything of you other than what He gives in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for His glory. Do you get that? That's a huge promise. God doesn't require anything of you other than, as a Christian, other than what He 
offers you in Christ to live completely united with Him, to be satisfied by Him. And that's, that's the secret of the exchanged life. We've given up anything. I and mean, that's, that's the beauty of where David is brought to in Psalm 50. He's just come through this terrible sin in his own life, and he says, committing adultery with Bathsheba, and he comes to this point and he says, if you wanted a sacrifice, I would bring it. But, he says, that's not what you desire. Then the psalm before he says, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. What will I bring to a God who has everything? Right? So many people I talk to are in this position that they're like, well, when God shows himself to me, then I'll come. Right? It's like this story, uh, it's a joke, I know we've been serious, but of this man who was in the water, treading water, his boat had sunk, he was treading water and a boat comes by and, and says, well, can I help you? And the man says, no, I prayed and God's going to save me. Uh, another boat comes by and he's treading water and he says, would you like to come in the boat? <laughs> Out in the middle of the water, and he says, No, God's gonna save me. I prayed, don't worry about it. Drowns. Gets up to heaven. <laughs> Classic Pearly Gates story. Peter says, So, uh, what brought you here? <laughs> and the man says, I prayed, I was I was in the water, I prayed that God would save me, and he didn't. And Peter says, Well, I think I heard about you a couple hours ago. And we sent you two boats. Right? So, we often in our own lives, we're, we're looking for something other than Christ, like God will enable us to then go and do it ourselves. Right? God will all of a sudden be, make you the greatest genius the world's ever seen, so you'll be able to explain how the cosmos came into being. Right? If you're waiting for that, you won't come. You are in a state of need right now. You will never be in the place where you can only give. And in that same way, we will never choose the place of our own sacrifice. Do you get that? We will never ever be in the place, even as Christians, where we decide what we give to God. We will, even in that even in the life, as a Christian, be in the place where we enjoy what He gives, and then when we, He requires something of us, we give it willfully, because the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let that be your perspective as a Christian. To end, I'll give you Galatians 5.1. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So it is for freedom Christ has set you free. Explore that freedom hand in hand with Christ and you will find immense satisfaction. Uh, if ever you let go of the hand of Christ, you'll experience incredible limitation and doubt and guilt inwardly. Um, 
So I encourage you on all accounts, uh, find out what it means you've died with Christ. And now your life is hidden with Him. And enjoy that truth. Pray with me, please. God, we, we need you. And I thank you you told us so clearly and showed us not only in word, but in the person of Christ who lived and died and rose again. You just displayed your power. You displayed your desire. And all that we can join and be a part of. And I just I thank you so much for that. <laughs> I know my thoughts were in many ways disjointed today, um, but God, I pray that, um, God, that this word, your word, will abide in the hearts of those that have have heard, Um, and you'll bring freedom, God, your freedom, um, that alone can come through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need you for this, and we praise you so much for what you've done and the beauty of the message. We pray this in your name. Amen.